Hey, you're listening to Blue Jean Church's podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. To learn more about Blue Jean Church in Selma, Alabama, visit us at www.bluejeanselma.com. I want to read if we look in Jeremiah chapter 20. And it's actually in the Amplified Version. It's in some other versions too, but it's in the Amplified Version. And Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a young boy when God called him to be a prophet. And he had a rough job. He was the one that had to go around in Israel or Judah and tell them that basically that they sucked. That they, that they had been wrong, they had done wrong, and they were fixing to get whacked. That's what, that's what he had to tell them. And he was a young boy. And so, obviously, if you go and tell some people that they stink, yeah, they're not going to like you much. And so he, he got in trouble all the time. And uh, people didn't like him. And, and he cried out to the Lord and, and just said, you know, this is really hard, God. This is hard. What you've given me to do is hard, but I can't not do it. And so in chapter 20, verse, uh, let's see, where where'd we start? In verse 10, he's talking about everybody, all of his buddies and all the people in, in, the, in the community that are wanting to kill him and wanting to tear him down. And, and, and this is what he says. For I've heard the whisperings and defaming words of many, Terror on every side. Denounce him. And the him in there is Jeremiah. Let us denounce him. All my familiar and trusted friends, and I'm reading from the Amplified, by the way, those who are watching for my fall say, perhaps he will be persuaded and deceived, and then we will overcome him. They're looking for a way to get him, to take him out. They're sick of his words. It convicts them, and they don't like it. And he says, and we'll take our revenge on him. And then, so he's like setting it up, saying, they're, they're wanting to whack me. But in verse 11, he says, but the Lord is with me as a dread champion, one to be greatly feared. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not overcome me. They will be completely shamed, and for, for they have not acted wisely and have failed in their schemes. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. In, in the modern vernacular, what he'd be saying is, he's fixing to kick booty, and oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no, you didn't. You're going to regret the day you ever mess with me because Jesus is my dread champion. I looked that up. I looked up Dread Champion. And this is what it was. It was a thing. It was a thing. You remember the fight with Goliath and David? Well, Goliath was a Dread Champion for the Philistines. David ended up being a Dread Champion for the Lord. And when I read about Goliath, he's like nine feet, nine, six inches tall. This dude was huge. And, and a dread champion was a warrior chosen by the king 
to represent him in the battle against the enemy. I believe this is a word for me, but I also believe it's a word for our church and for our community. And we were just singing some songs. One of them was, I have the authority that you have given me. I think the Lord's wanting to shift our focus and our mindset from being weak and resigned with a victim spirit and whining about where we are and what our situation is and where our community is or where our whatever is and saying, no, now, now I'm your dread champion. I'm going to kick somebody's rear end. And it's not like people. We're not talking about flesh and blood here. We're talking about spiritual. He's a dread champion. There's nobody more powerful, nobody bigger. And it's like Kim Walker. I love it when she goes prophetic. She's like, she starts just screaming, you know, depression must bow. Hopelessness must bow. Sickness must bow. And she just screams in that song. It makes me cry every time I see her doing it. She says, at the name, at the name, at the name of Jesus. She's singing like he's a dread champion. She gets it. And how often do I? And how often have you and how often have we walked around with weak resignation a victim spirit does that to you it makes you resigned and weak and grumbling and critical instead of being a part of solutions and knowing that the one who can change things who is with you and will change things instead of looking in faith and walking in faith it's that this is the best we can do I hear it all the time in the community with people saying, we live in the black belt. We are poor. We don't have lots of resources. And I'm like, that's not a statement about us. That's a statement about your faith in God. If we believe he's a dread champion, then guess what? Poverty must bow at the name of Jesus. Now, you know, when I preach, when I speak, most of the time, all I'm doing is sharing with you what the Lord is speaking to me. So this isn't like, oh, Bob up here has got this thing figured out, and I'm walking around like Jesus is my dread champion all the time. This is a word of me in places in my life where he's wanting to say, get up off your little weak, resigned, victim spirit rear end and act like more than a conqueror because that's what you are because that's who I am and I live in you as your dread champion Bob and so I'm not preaching at anybody I'm sharing what he's showing me for us this is a game changer. If we can grasp this and begin to walk in this more and more and more, it will be a game changer, not only in our lives and our families and in this church and in our community, but everywhere. We will be the game changer. We will set the atmosphere. 
Dane talked last week about being salt and light, that we carry his presence, so we change the atmospheres. And we don't just change it with just showing up. It's like good stuff begins to happen. Life bubbles up. Things begin to change. They can't stay the same in, in the face of Jesus. Everything changes in the light of his face. And so for me, as, as we talk about this word and we walk in this word and consider this word, I think there's some steps that I think we, we need to get settled in our hearts for us to walk in this word. And the first one, I think we've got to be confident and have faith that God is spirit and there is a spirit realm. There is the reality of the spirit realm. And if, if you're struggling with, and let me tell you a manifestation of that. And it happens to me all the time, and I don't know, maybe you too, but when I'm praying, I'm, sometimes in my mind I'm thinking, I don't know if this is going to do any good. And sometimes the attitude is, well, we've done everything we know to do, now let's pray. When if we're walking in the reality of the spirit realm, and the belief that God is for real, for real, then maybe the first thing we do is pray, not the last thing. And so the first thing, I mean, the scripture's just full of it. It's just full of evidence of the reality of the spirit realm. If you want to look at, we don't have time this morning, but here's the sites. Matthew chapter 8, 5 through 13. That's the story of the centurion with the sick servant. And the centurion shows up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, would you come to my house? No, would you, would you heal my servant is sick? Jesus says, I'll come to your house. And the centurion says, you don't need to. He said, because I get this authority thing. I'm a, I'm a man with authority. And he said, I tell one of my soldiers to go and they go. I tell them to do and they do. And he said, so all you got to do is speak the word. And Jesus said, I have never in my life seen faith like this in all of Israel. It blew Jesus away because the guy got it. He understood the authority that Jesus carried. He said, you ain't got to be there. All you got to do is speak the word. And it will be, and it was. It, there was a faith and an understanding of how the natural and the spiritual realm interacted. He got it. Jesus said this too, and I'm going to read this. Look in John chapter 18. Verse 36, Jesus is on trial. He's standing before Pilate. And Pilate says in, in 18, verse 33, Pilate then back, went back inside the palace. He summons Jesus and he asked, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, is that your own idea? Or did somebody else, did others talk to you about me? Jesus is trying to discern whether this question is coming from Pilate's faith or whether he's just repeating something he'd heard. Well, Pilate reveals the source of the question. He says, am I a Jew? 
It's like, I don't believe this. I'm just asking you. Your own people and chief priests have handed you over to me. What is it you've done? And Jesus answered his question. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So you're a king, Pilate said. And Jesus said, yes, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born was to come into this world to testify to the truth. And over here in verse 11 in chapter 19, Pilate says, don't you realize that I have the power to kill you and have you crucified? And Jesus answers in verse 11, he says, you wouldn't have any power over me if it were not given to you from above. I mean, that is so clear to me that there is a power, there is a realm that we have, that we see with the eyes of our heart and with eyes of faith that we don't necessarily see with our natural. But if we don't start there and believe that and settle that, then Jesus being our dread champion is just weird language. It has no impact on us. You got to start there knowing that he's our dread champion and that in the spirit realm there's all kinds of things that he's doing that affect what's going on on the earth. So that's the first thing. You got to know in your knower that he's real. Hebrews says he rewards those who believe that he is and that he rewards those who believe in him. The second thing we must begin to function but believe that one of the functions of Jesus in our lives is a dread champion. Now, Jesus is a lot of things. He's a lot of things. But one of his functions and activities in the world and in our lives is a dread champion. He's going to kick booty and take names in the spirit. He is. And it's going to affect the way things shake out for us in the natural. You know, I grew up in a church that had a, a, a window that was really beautiful and it had children in it. I always thought until I got older that the little baby in the person's, in Jesus' lap was, was like Jesus. And I've seen pictures in books and in other churches where Jesus is portrayed like as this little fat baby that's, you know, got a halo around him and, you know, little fat little angels flying around. And he's portrayed, even, even as an adult, as this wimpy kind of guy. Well, you know, I, the Lord's revealed to me that there's no wimpiness in him. I mean, this guy literally, basically for three years, camped out. He went from place to place to place. He survived in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, I'm, I love the shows Survivor and Alone and all those shows. I mean, like, I want to be that person. I would want to be that person until I got hungry, and then I'd want to check out and go get something to eat, you know. But I want to be that person. I think it's so cool how they do. But they struggled to survive that long. This guy did it by himself for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was a carpenter. I mean, have you ever seen a carpenter that was wimpy? I haven't. 
Sam, you're included in that. You're a beast. I've never seen somebody that worked with wood in their hands not have ginormous hands and be strong. You know, this guy was a beast, and, and he, he took beatings that would have killed an average person. He, he was able to withstand more than we could have ever imagined. He was an animal when it came to the being strong in the physical. And, and he's, he is, even when he was on earth, not wimpy. But listen to the description of him now. Listen to who he is now that he's risen from the dead. There ain't no fat baby about Jesus. Check this out in Revelation. Look at Revelation chapter 1. Listen to how he's described when, when, when uh, John, the apostle John sees him. In verse 12, chapter 1, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven lamp, golden lampstands, and, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a gold sash around his chest. His ha the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. I mean, if I'd seen that just like John did, he like fell down. I mean like, oh my gosh. You know, this is, this is incredible and scary and wonderful all at the same time it would have been intimidating alright well we're not finished check out uh, Revelation chapter 19 look at how he's described in Revelation chapter 19 I saw heaven, it's in verse 11, chapter 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. The rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. This is a bad mama jamma. He has a name written on him that no one else knows but he himself. Love that. It's like a ninja. Did you? We're going to find out in a minute. Jesus has tattoos. Where do you find out what he's got tattooed on himself? He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Guess whose blood it is? It's his. It's his own blood that's dripped, that the robe is dripped in. I mean, I'm like, I got chills on my head right now thinking about how awesome and powerful and glorious and terrible and wonderful Jesus is. He says, it says, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen. The armies of heaven, the armies of heaven. He's leading the armies of heaven. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus' tattoo says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
I'm like, he is so bad. <laughs> He's a dread champion. And so for me, you know, the scriptures where he says in, in Matthew, all powers, for Matthew 28, all power in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Now you go in my name and make disciples. All authority and power. He's got the power and authority to back up his awesome outfit. In Ephesians chapter 2, 9 through 10, it says, Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee. She, we were just singing that with Kim Walker. She said, uh, anxiety, bow. Hopelessness, bow. Sickness, bow at the name of Jesus. And the thing, I, I, I'm, this is a side note, but the thing I love about Kim Walker so much, and especially in that song, at times in that song, she just, just starts yelling and screaming and hollering, and, and you know it's real. It's not for show. When, and you can tell by the content of that song at some point, she's been through some rough stuff. This isn't, this isn't something she's just singing because it, it sounds good or somebody gave her that. She's, she's singing it from her gut. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, all things are under Jesus' feet. He's, he stands on everything. And so I think number, number one is we got to believe the spirit realm's real and that it affects where we live and our communities. But number two is that Jesus is a bad mama jamma. He is our dread champion in whatever situation and circumstances we need it. I think another point, the third one, is that Jesus will be our dread champion that he's for us. He's not against us. He's not mad at us or disappointed in us or frustrated with us. He is for us. And his, his happiest day, his happiest moment is when he see us, sees us start to grasp the truth that he's for real and he's for us and he loves us. I know in my life, when I see somebody get it, like get it with God and start coming alive, it's it's. It's better than Alabama beating Auburn, and if you're in Auburn, the vice versa. It's, it's the best thing in the world to see somebody catch it and start understanding who Jesus is and begin to walk in that and to see the freedom come and the healing come and the, and the transformation come. There's nothing better than that. We've got to believe that he's for us. If you want to look at the scripture, look at Romans chapter 31, eight, chapter 8, verse 31. That's a familiar verse to a lot of us. It says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul is writing, he says, God is for us. That's a rhetorical question. And rhetorical questions know the answer. It's just a way of making a statement. 
you know? And he says, if God is for us, so if, if you flip it around to a statement, he's, he's saying, God is for us. Who can be against us? He's for us. He's for our marriage. He's for our peace. He's for our freedom. He's for our wholeness. He's for our community. He's for whatever it is. He's for us. Now, that doesn't mean that he's a puppet on a string and he does it what I want to do. He is the king. He gets to decide, but I've got to choose to trust that Father knows best and that he will effectuate his kingdom and advance his kingdom in me, in us, in our community for the good and best. In verse 37, it says, In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. The the reason Paul can write that is we are more than conquerors is because of who lives in us as believers. Jesus is a dread champion. He is more than a conqueror. And because he lives in us, that's what we were singing with Dante Bowe's song. I have the authority that you have given me. It's like we walk in that authority because of Jesus living in us. We have the authority to change communities, to change atmospheres, to change situations, and to be that conduit to move mountains. We have the capacity to be dread champions for Jesus here because he is our dread champion. I want, to, I want to read this to you too. Look in verse 34. It says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's, he is doing things in the heavenlies to intercede and to effectuate the dread champion aspect of his, his being. I don't know what we call him. I don't know if being is a big enough word. He's, he's a lot of different things. But one of the things that I think we've got to grasp is he's, he is a dread champion. He's a fighter for us. Scripture is absolutely full of it. I had so many places that I could have pointed out to you, but we don't have the time this morning, where God shows up and the, and the Scripture says, God says, hey, you ain't got to fight. You just watch. One of the first ones, after I got this word about dread champion, I get a, a verse of the day on my Bible app. It pops up, and it was Exodus 14, 14, where the Israelites have left the Egypt. The Pharaoh changes his mind, and the, and the Egyptians are chasing them, and they get them hemmed in against the Red Sea, and you know they're fixing to get whacked. And they're freaking out, and Moses says, hey, God said, don't worry about it. You just go out there, and you tell everybody to take a chill pill, and you lift out your arms over the, the, the ocean, the Red Sea, and you watch and see the deliverance of God. And it said that night when he did that, the wind came from the east, and it blew and blew and blew, and it blew dry ground. 
So the Israelites walked through dry ground, and then the and 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 God told them, He said, you know, and this is He's speaking as a dread champion, and He says, those Egyptians that are chasing you, and that Pharaoh that's been whipping your tail, you won't ever see them again. And when the Israelites got to the other side on dry ground, uh, Moses lowered his arms, the water came back and killed all the Egyptians. Now that's what a dread champion does. He did it in the spirit, but it manifested in the natural. I mean, the scriptures are absolutely full of it. First Samuel, I mean, you think about that with um, King David. I, I want to read a verse uh, in that, the whole story about David and Goliath. I mean, I've been reading it the last couple of, couple of weeks, and it is so rich. Um, there's so much there, but for this morning, we're just, we don't have time to go into it. But look at 1 Samuel 17. Verse 17, look at verse 4, I mean, chapter 17, verse 45. Y'all know the story. King David shows up, Goliath's out there intimidating the dread champion for the Philistines, is intimidating the Israelites. David shows up and uh, he's like, who is this, who is this, who is this bum that's picking on us? All right, and so the battle's about to happen. And David says to Goliath, because Goliath has just said, he's like, I'm fixing to kill you. They're sending a boy out to mess with me, and I'm going to eat you alive. And so David responds, chapter 1745, 1 Samuel. He said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David got this concept of the spirit realm and the natural. He understood that. It's incredible to me the revelation that he had at this point in time of the reality of the spirit realm and the effect that that has on the natural. And he says, this day, the Lord, not David, not big weapons, not all kinds of your own strength, the Lord will, will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. David understood what a dread champion was. And he knew that Goliath was a bad mama jamma. But he also knew that God, that Jesus, that we know as Jesus, is a badder mama jamma. And he walked in faith. He recognized the spiritual. He recognized that God is a dread champion. And he walked in it. He believed it. He didn't sit back. And then it says he picked up five smooth stones and he ran towards Goliath. He didn't wallow around because the scripture, if you read this story, I saw this for the first time this past week. It says the Israelites would get up in the morning and they'd be hooting and hollering and we're going to kick some Philistines. Rawr! 
there and they'd get all fired up and they'd head out to the battlefield and they'd all march out there. They were hooting and hollering and war crying and everything and they'd get out there and Goliath would come out again and they'd shrink back in terror. Shame, condemnation, fear, confusion, weakness, weak resignation to the circumstances and situations as they are. I bought a shirt. Y'all know I, my, one of my jams is Life is Good. I've, I've gotten on to those, that, this company called Life is Good. And so every now and then I'll just treat myself and buy me a little $14 T-shirt that has some cool little something on it. They have dogs and that kind of thing. It's stupid. It's silly. But I was looking. I got a, because I bought some, they send me something on my Instagram all the time, you know. And so something popped up, and I was looking at the shirts they had. And, and the shirt, I just bought it. I hadn't gotten it yet. But it has hammers on it, and it says... Um, don't knock it. Build it. And I said, that's a good word right there. That's a good word right there. And so when you know Jesus is your dread champion, you don't knock it. You don't complain about it and whine about it and wallow in it. You do something about it because the one who is in us has overcome the world. And so that makes us overcomers too, right? You see how if we grasp this word, how, how it can be a great game changer? We must, number, number next one, I think it's four. We got to know what, God, what Jesus is fighting for. We got to know what, what he's doing. And I mean, we couldn't, in, in a million years, we couldn't look at all the scriptures to answer that. But there's some, several that came to mind as I was praying into this that popped into my mind that give us kind of an overview. He's, he's fighting for abundant life for us. That's in John chapter 10, 10. He says, I came to give life and give it abundantly. And he wants to do that in our own personal lives, in our communities, in our churches everywhere in the church he wants people living in freedom and abundance and wholeness that's his heart he wants to set captives free and heal broken hearts in 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 it says the reason Jesus came or the, it says it that way the reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil and so the Satan, we know from John 10.10, 10, he came to only to steal, kill, and destroy. And so our dread champion is coming to stop Satan from stealing and killing and destroying relationships, peace, whatever, joy. And then we talked about it last week. Dane preached and we, we ran and got the, the um, tapestry that's hanging in the Moravian room now. It's Isaiah 61. And Dane read, I think, uh, Luke chapter 4 uh, where, where Jesus says, I came to set captives free. I came to heal broken hearts. I came to do all that. That's, that's me. And so our dread champion shows up. And if you're struggling with something or if there's something off kilter in your life or in a community, he came to change that. He came for 
transformation and change, not for us to learn how to live with it. That's what he's about. So that's what he's fighting for, for us, in us, through us. The next one, what's the result of this? I think the result of beginning to walk, knowing that Jesus is our dread champion, it like, and that we have the authority of heaven, it changes the way we pray. It changes the way we live. It changes our perspective on problems and situations. I remember I've shared this. If you've been around here very long, you've heard me tell this story, but this is the best example in my life of a dread champion. And I'll, I'll make it real brief for those of you that have heard it before. Um, but the third grade, I went to bird school. Y'all remember the story about the little bird school beanies? We got, for 25 cents, you could buy a little beanie, a little round thing, looked like a yarmulke that would sit on your head, and it was blue and gold, and it had in script, bird. And I thought it was the coolest little hat you ever saw. And it was a Friday. We got him. I had mine on. Ted Buckley, who was a good friend of mine and the toughest guy at bird school, uh, was spending the night with me. And back then, everybody went to the drive-in. You could take a whole family for a dollar and go to the drive-in out here, the old Selmont drive-in, and watch a first-run movie. And, and the parents could go take the kids to the playground, and they had chairs there that they could watch the movie while the kids ran around and went crazy. And so me and Ted go up to the playground and we're playing and Ted's off somewhere else and I'm around and there's like three guys that I didn't know that were looked like they were about my age and they started making fun of me in my little beanie hat. And it was a goofy looking hat. It really was. I deserved it. It was a beanie. It wasn't a hat. But I thought it was cool, and so they started picking on me, and so I'm like, they're like, where'd you get that goofy hat? And you look, you look stupid in that hat. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Does that, do I have a hat on? You know, and I, I'm, I'm backing up, and I'm trying to avoid getting my head bashed in and not knowing what to do. And then old Ted Buckley strolls up with his beanie on. <laughs> and he said, what are these guys, what's going on? And I said, these guys are making fun of my beanie. Yeah, and he said, well, what's so funny about it? You know, and I was like, yeah, what's so funny about it? All of a sudden, I had courage and clarity. You see, Ted Buckley was my dread champion. Do you see? Do you see the change in me? When I realized that Ted, in a stupid story, was my dread champion. How much more will that happen to me and you when we realize Jesus is our dread champion? Come on. I mean, for real. He makes Ted Buckley look like a fat baby. That to me is the best example of what a dread champion does. It gave me boldness. It gave me clarity, courage. It, it propelled me to action. It broke me out of weak resignation and fear and anxiety. That victim spirit and that, that willingness just to resign myself and back down 
went away. It changed me to know that I have a dread champion. Now, the last thing. We play a part in this. We do. Uh, as I've been chewing on this, digging into this, I Googled Dread Champion the other day, and there's a, a website called the Elijah List that has lots of really awesome prophetic words for today and people on it, and it popped up. And I got a word, uh, Dread Champion, from a prophet named Bob Jones who is deceased now, but he was like a legit for real prophet. Um, he's deceased now, but there's another cat named Bobby Connor. I don't know about him as well, but he's legit too. And they had given a word in two, two, 2010 about dread champions. The Lord was speaking to them about dread champions. And I read the article, and I read their prophetic word, and Bobby Connor said it this way. He said, for us to walk as dread champions and for us to appropriate this, this faith that Jesus is our dread champion and to live like it, he said, we've got to come into agreement with this truth. And then, bless his heart, he said, this is what I'm talking about. When, when instead of just leaving, come into agreement out there, he said, one of the things that we do to come into agreement with the word is we practice by walking in the spiritual disciplines. Prayer. Scripture. You know, if we're not reading it, it's not going in us. We all know the word of God is powerful, like a two-edged sword. It's the sword of the spirit. Jesus used it to fight the devil in chapter 4 of Matthew when the, Satan tempted him three times in a row, Jesus said, it is written. Jesus says in another place in Matthew, you're in error to the Sadducees because you don't know the, the scriptures or the power of God. If we're not reading it, we're missing out on a way to come into agreement with the concept that Jesus is our dread champion. If you're not carving out time to hang out with Jesus, then you may have the head knowledge that he's a dread champion, but it won't be all up in you. We have a part to play. Ann was telling me this morning, you were listening to Kent Maddox or, or something. We were listening to some of that cherry. You sent it to me. It was really good. But, but uh, something about the Holy Spirit, I think Kent Maddox, correct me if I'm wrong, but he said something about the Holy Spirit's our helper. That means we got to do something too. And you know, we're like, oh, Jesus is my dread champion. He's going to do everything for me. Not so. Faith activates the power of heaven. And for us to walk in faith, if we're not exercising and coming into agreement with the word and doing our part, this is not a works-based word. This is not... This is not a word that I'm saying, you better pray, you better read your scripture, you better do this, you better do that. And if you do that, you're okay. That's not what I'm talking about. This is all about relationship. But for me and Ann to have a relationship, we got to hang out. That's what I'm talking about. And the way we hang out with God, we listen to him, 
We pray. We have conversations with him. We read the word. We fast. Ugh. We worship. We're going to do communion. And we walk in the power of the Spirit. We don't walk in our own power. And when we do that, we will come into agreement with this truth that Jesus is your and my and our dread champion. And so nothing's hopeless. Nothing's beyond change. Nothing is beyond uh, turning around. Nothing. And that includes Selma and our area. You know, as I said earlier, everything bows to the name of Jesus. Kim Walker got it when she was singing it, screaming it. You know, and when she when she sings at that end of that, when she just sings, at the name, at the name, at the name of Jesus, she is screaming from her toenails. There's so much anointing on that, it's crazy. Well, y'all don't want me to sing like that. But I, I declare that from my toenails. That everything bows at the name. At the name, at the name of Jesus. I guess we leave with this thought. What's our response? You know, I think we're going to do communion right now. And what is there a better example of Jesus being our dread champion? That he took our punishment and our beating so that we could be free? I mean, is there a better, is the cross and the empty grave, is there a better example of Jesus being our dread champion? I don't think so. This is the greatest victory that's ever been won in all of the world. And so I think as we take this, we come with gratitude and with confession and all that, but I think with the realization that Jesus is our dread champion and with the desire, I want to live like that, Lord. I want to live like you're my dread champion and you're Selma's dread champion and you're Blue Jean's dread champion and you're the church's dread champion. We're not going to do a litany this morning for communion. I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to hand them out, and uh, we're going to take communion together, okay? So let's pray. Lord, I just come to you right now. We thank you so much for the sacrament of communion. Jesus, we, we remember and acknowledge your sacrifice and, and the, the death and resurrection that you, you uh, did for us that forgave our sins, paid the price, tetelestai, paid in full, um, and the empty grave, Lord, that released resurrection life. What kind of king are you? What king does that for his people, that they would lay their own life down for the love of his people? Jesus, we honor you this morning for your sacrifice for us we remember it, and I'm not talking about like remembering like remembering a story. We remember that. We, we receive everything you've given in, in this sacrament. We receive it. Lord, we feed on you. You say in the word that, that if we don't feed on your, your body and drink your blood, 
that we would have no part in you. Well, we are not that people. We're going to feed on you, and we're going to partake of your blood. Not literally, Lord, but, but mysteriously, for real. This morning, we are grateful. We honor you, Jesus. We give you all power and authority and blessing and honor and majesty and, and praise and everything we can give you, Jesus. And that's not enough. We give it all to you. Lord, as we come this morning, forgive our sin. I know the word tells us that um, we, we've got to approach this sacrament in the right spirit, in the right, um, right mindset. And so we confess our sin to you. And we are sorry. And we receive your forgiveness. And thank you for your cleansing. Lord, let this be a special encounter where you release the reality of you being that dread champion. We thank you. That's, that's why our friends at Christ the King call it Eucharist. That means Thanksgiving. We're grateful. <laughs> so we're going to do communion or Eucharist, but we're thankful. And we believe. Help our unbelief, but we believe. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope this message has equipped and inspired you to transform people, your community, and the world through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Whether you're from Selma or anywhere you're listening from, we'd love to hear from you. Visit us online at www.bluejeanselma.com.